Father, we love you. We trust you. We honor you. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us in this time. We need to hear your voice. Lord, we pray all the time. We don't need to hear the ideas, the intellect, the humor of a man. We need to hear the voice of the Lord through your holy word. Lord, we believe that um, what Hebrews says, that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. We ask that the word, that the, the, the blade, the knife of the spirit, your word, that it would cut, that it would shape, that it would lead us to be living sacrifices for the gospel's sake, for your glory, for the glory of the triune God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. Amen. Well, as we close Psalm 51, I thought this week of, about a story from um, praying Hyde's life, praying John Hyde. Wouldn't you like for praying to be the adjective that describes your life? I don't want to be remembered as preaching Caleb or teaching Caleb or wise Caleb or even compassionate Caleb. I'd like to be remembered as a man of prayer because as far as I'm concerned, everything rises and falls on prayer. The church needs to rediscover that truth. We need to rediscover that truth. Hyde, remember, was a missionary to India um, late 1800s. He dies in the early 1900s. Um, he was the one who, do you remember the story? He prayed so much with his head in the ground um, that his heart cavity actually shifted. And he literally, his heart broke from his posture in prayer. He spent his entire life in prayer. Now, they begin to have revival in India and um, kind of the, the missionaries and the pastors, they would come together for a convention once a year. And they had a prayer room at the convention and there was teaching. And it was known that Hyde was one of the leaders, but Hyde wouldn't lead the prayer room. He spent his entire time in the prayer room crying out to God for souls in India. He was the one who originally he prayed for one soul a day and, and had faith that God would save one person a day through his ministry. And eventually got up to four souls a day. God would save four people through his ministry. But he gives his entire life to prayer, sowing himself um, that God would move in India. And, you know, there's still um, believers in India today, quite a move. There's this moment in Hyde's life that I thought about as I tried to think about David here. Um, remember, David wrote Psalm 51 after his affair with Bathsheba, and he murdered Uriah, the Hittite, her husband. Um, and so he's broken, he's repenting, he's confessing. Well, John Hyde was scheduled to speak one night at the convention and the revival in India. And he said that he spent all night wrestling with God because he felt like God told him that he was supposed to share um, with the congregation a season of sin where he would struggle with sin. He was a single man where he had struggled with sin. And he was supposed to be really honest with it. It was a group of men. He was supposed to be really honest about his struggle with sin, um, the feelings that he would never overcome it, the feelings of guilt. And he was supposed to be really honest about the way that God's grace covered him and brought him um, out of that season. And now as a, as a leader in a movement, um, leaders never want to stand to begin to talk about their own shortcomings. As the leader of the movement, I'm sure he would have liked to have stood and talked about his great victories in prayer, 
talked about how many souls he had seen saved, talk about how God was planning churches and moving through his ministry. Leaders don't like to stand and expose all their shortcomings and their failures, but what God wanted, what God needs in our hour, is not more men and women who will stand and tout their own success, but men and women who are broken before him and who will declare their shortcomings, his holiness, and that all of their life is established upon this one thing, his mercy. In that sense, brokenness is the foundation for real, pure worship. Because worshipers are not arrogant. Worshipers don't just believe in God's holiness as a theological confession. They have experienced God's holiness. They have been struck in awe as God seems to settle down on the room. Worshippers realize that without the grace and mercy of God, we would have all, the earth would have split and consumed us all years ago. And that mercy is, is, is the first attribute that God likes to use to describe himself. He's a merciful God, steadfast in love. It's one of the reasons why the cross is the greatest theological expression of who God is. Because on the cross, we see God's hatred for sin, but we see God's unwavering love and mercy. And so brokenness is foundational to a real worship-filled life. And so John Hyde stands up and he tells his story again as a leader who wants to talk about all the victories he's seen. Rather, he talks about his own struggle with sin, his failure, his need for grace, and how God's established him. And as he shares, the congregation breaks and the men begin to weep, just weep. They start to confess their own sin. They hit their knees. And the movement for years would be marked by this transparency and this willingness to confess sin because Hyde broke something in that moment. God used a broken man to break an atmosphere of pride and arrogance. And you know and I know that it's pride and arrogance that heaven always resists. Satan, Jesus says, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. As soon as Satan's heart rises up in pride, God thumps him down because God will not allow any proud man or woman to stand in his holy presence. And so, church, if you want God's presence, if we want his power, if we want to see him move in our community to really have God get rid of your pride, it will hinder the move of God. Now, let's move to Psalm 51. If you're okay with me, I'd like to just talk a little bit today. Um, We'll move to Psalm 51 read the conclusion, and I'd like to hash this idea out a little bit further with you. Psalm 51, we'll start in verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. The then being an afterwards. You will not delight in sacrifice. I would give it. You won't be pleased in a burnt offering. I would bring it. Penance. Turning to God with a flippant attitude. 
is not appropriate and it will not be received. Now sacrifice, bringing a sacrifice, an animal to the, to the house of the Lord was a part of worship that was prescribed um, through the law, through, through Moses. And it, and it points, ultimately, it will be fulfilled in the blood of Jesus. The Israelites were to bring sacrifice. And David says, when our hearts are right, when we've really been broken before God, then we could bring a sacrifice that you'll receive. But to participate in the externals of worship and not participate in the internals of worship, is never appropriate. You may fool men and women by wearing your church clothes, by bringing big checks, by singing all the songs, lifting your hands and hitting your knees. You may fool a man or woman into thinking that you, you really have something going with God, but you'll never fool the omniscience of the holy creator of the universe. If the heart beating in your chest does not really love God, then all of your externals are denied. The Pharisees brought their sacrifices, and the Sadducees loved their spiritual persona. But Jesus looks them in the face in Matthew chapter 23 and calls them whitewashed tombs, meaning... Imagine a, a tomb that's been pressure washed very nicely and it's clean and well manicured and it looks great on the outside. But Jesus says, inside you're rotten and you stink. You've decayed. There's no life in you, only death. You carry death. You're concerned with your external projection, but internally you are disgusting to the nostrils of God. That was Jesus' condemnation to men who brought sacrifices, but never brought sacrifices. You can play the role, look the part, but God is not pleased with mere lip service. My lip service, nor your lip service. You will not delight and sacrifice God, or I would give it. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. So you won't receive my offering, David says. But my broken and contrite heart, you could never deny. Contrite, that's not a word we use in our English vocabulary very often. The Hebrew word translated here for contrite means crushed. A broken and crushed heart. Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. David says, I know you won't receive my sacrifice, or I would bring it, but you will never deny the crushed in spirit. What God is after in David's life is brokenness. What God is after today in your life is brokenness. Crushed by the weight of our own failures. Crushed by the burden of our own shortcomings. Crushed by the awareness that we constantly fall short of the glory of God. But ultimately crushed by the weight of his loving kindness and the mercy he's shown towards us. Crushed. Why would the 
thrice holy triune God of the universe desire brokenness? Well, David makes it plain because brokenness is worship. Bringing your sacrifice is a part of worship. David says, you won't have that part of my worship until I bring you this part of my worship. Brokenness is worship. Look with me in Isaiah 66, verse 1 through 2. Isaiah's 66 books, they often point out that it's the, the Bible is 66 books. The, and that throughout the prophecy of Isaiah, you really get the whole narrative of Scripture. The conclusion of Isaiah is chapter 66, verse 1 through 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Thus says the Lord, the heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What could you bring to me that I need, he's saying. You build me a house, you think I need your house? You bring me your money and your goods, do you think I need your money and your goods? This is to whom I will look, the humble and the contrite and those who tremble at my word. When's the last time you trembled at the word of God? The contrite, the crushed. crushed, the broken, they know nothing of self-arrogance, self-promotion, pride. When you've laid on the altar for a while and God's exposed your sin and you look good and long in the mirror, James talks about men who look in the mirror of the word and walk away and forget what they look like. When you look in the mirror of God's word and you recognize that the standard by which God judges us is not your neighbor or your brother or your sister, but the standard by which God judges us is his holy word fully manifested in the life of Jesus. When you realize that what God desires is Jesus' likeness and you are not that, all you can do is hit your knees and crumble. The broken know nothing of arrogance. Know nothing of pride. David says in this psalm, over and over, have mercy on me, God. Have mercy. I've got nothing to offer. My life could never please you. My righteous works, if you will, are filthy before your eyes. The broken are fully aware of their own inadequacy. Why does God desire brokenness? Because the broken have really learned to reject arrogance. Next, the broken have no strength in and of themselves. Why does God desire brokenness? Because the broken have learned that they can't muster up the inner spiritual strength to live a life that really pleases God. The broken have learned that in and of themselves, they are void of any real power. They can't fix 
themselves. They can't fix their kids. They can't fix their community. I can't fix the sin problem that plagues all of humanity. I can't fix the brokenness concerning our health. I can't fix the financial issues. I can't fix, I can't fix the effects of sin. And so when the broken come to the place where they recognize that they are inadequate, they really begin to pray. God help. God move. Why does God want broken people who are aware of their own inadequacy? Because God's heart delights in real prayer, church. Real prayer, church. We've gone so far down the road of church being about performance. We've gone so far down the road of church being about personality worship. We've gone so far down the road of church being about big numbers and buildings and budgets. But Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. God does not need strong believers. God does not need self-sufficient men and women in his house. He presses Paul, crushes Paul. Paul cries out, oh God, deliver me. And God says, in your weakness, I'm strong. The cry of the self-sufficient is, there is no mountain I can't conquer. And all of our Western preaching wants you to live that way. I can do anything. I can be anything. But the cry of the broken is, without your presence and your power, I have nothing to offer. The cry of the broken is, God, move by your strength, your power, for your glory. You receive all adoration and praise and worship for it. You have got to move. You receive the glory. It's about you, for you. The cry of the self-sufficient is, look at me. The cry of the broken is, look to God. And the broken have discovered something that the self-righteous will never discover. Mercy. And as far as I'm concerned, the conviction of the Holy Spirit can break you and should break you. There ought to be times when you look in the mirror of your own sin again and you feel the displeasure of God, the heart of the Holy Spirit that's grieved. We can grieve the Spirit. That's why Paul says not to. When you recognize that you've grieved the Holy Spirit and you break, conviction will break you. But nothing will break you like a revelation of God's mercy in your life. Nothing breaks me like being fully aware of the judgment I deserve, yet fully aware of the position I have in the kingdom of God, seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. I deserve death, but by God I have abundant life. 
And the broken are not just those who are broken over their sin. They are, they are those who have been given a gift that they could never deserve, that they could never pay back, that they could never earn. A gift that's worth so much that all they can do is crumble and cry, thank you. And so David, he begins to cry for mercy, depend upon mercy. He can't depend on his own righteousness anymore. Everyone knows that he's an adulterer and a murderer now. All he has to rely upon is mercy. The broken are those individuals who recognize that God reveals himself as merciful and who pursue that mercy. And in pursuit of that mercy, they find the love of God that transcends their own shortcomings and failures because there was blood shed for us. Consider with me for a moment the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 8, verse 1. Jesus comes down the mountainside and large crowds followed him. And a man with, who was unclean, a man with leprosy, came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Crowds following Jesus, pressing before Jesus. All of the holy men coming to hear their, what this new teacher has to say. There are dignified people following Jesus. But a leper hits his knees and says, oh, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. Course he's willing. Mark 10, 47. When he heard that it was Jesus from Nazareth, he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. This is blind Bartimaeus. Many people told the man to stop, shut up, don't bother him. But he shouted even louder, son of David, have pity on me. man leaves with an encounter with the mercy of God in the flesh. Matthew 15, verse 21 through 28, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and she was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter, she's oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. Tell her to leave, Jesus. Jesus answers her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She's a Canaanite. Jesus says, My ministry is to the Jew first. She came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She says, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus answered, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. She presses the disciples, saying, tell her to leave Jesus. And Jesus just kind of teases her, just lays it a little bit out there. He opens conversation. And it's as if Jesus is saying, dig deeper into my mercy. Press me for mercy. Press me for kindness. Keep pushing me until you get the desire of your heart here. And when she presses, Jesus says, oh, woman, great is your faith. The broken ones, they access a part of God's heart that God is desperate 
for the earth to access. It's his kindness. He delights in showing mercy. The religious say, keep walking, Jesus, don't listen. But Jesus can't help but stop when a man or woman begins to cry for mercy. The self-righteous will never know what it means to be broken by kindness. And I want you to see this morning, as we've talked about David's sin, I want you to see that you need to be convicted by the Spirit. We don't need to run from this conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's a part of his ministry. And we've... When we've fallen short, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to brood over us and to proke and prod and cut and perform heart surgery on us. You need to be broken by the conviction of the Spirit. And then at some point, you need to allow God's heavy kindness to crush you. Where all you can do is say, thank you for the cross, God. And if you are not crushed by the mercy of God, and if your eyes don't want to well with tears as you really stop to think about the cross, I wonder if you've known the cross at all. Because it's the real, it's the real cry of a saint, a man and woman of God, when life seems to press them. But all they can do is say, by God, the cross has changed everything. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I could never pay it back. I'm not trying to live a life to pay back what Jesus did. Worship team, if you'd come for me. You know, the pagan gods, the Canaanite gods, the Baal, the gods that Israel goes after, they were easily manipulated. They didn't really care about the life of an individual. If you did something to offend them, just bring some money and you bring a sacrifice, bring some food and everything will be okay. But David says, not you, God. You can't just bring a gift and smooth this thing over. You won't be pleased with the externals because our God is not after shallow external worship. He's after real communion with himself. Covenant worship, covenant hearts. And when you begin to really walk with God in communion and in fellowship, then you begin to understand worship, what it means to grieve him, and what it means to rely on his mercy. So David says, no, the sacrifices, the money, the offerings, none of that's going to smooth this thing over. There's one theological truth I've learned about you, God. There's one doctrinal emphasis that I've come to really understand. You will never deny the broken. And you want God to move in our nation. You want God to move in the lives of your children. We want God to move in this church. And so we try to muster it up out of our own energy. And we study leadership some more because what the church needs is more leadership principles. But by God, we need to learn what David learned, that God never denies the broken. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise, you will not reject. So if you stand to your feet, we'll close this morning. Altar ministers, would you guys mind getting in place? We're going to have some altar ministers here this morning. And if you felt the spirit of God moving at all this morning and you just, you just want prayer, 
Maybe your heart's hard, your heart's cold, or maybe you're, you're unsure if you really know Jesus at all and you need to make sure you're right with Jesus today. These ministers are gonna stay in place. As always, if you're sick in any way, we believe God can heal. They're gonna be here, pray for you. Don't leave without prayer. But this morning, I wanna close by asking you to join us and really bringing a broken hallelujah. I wanna ask you to really reflect upon the cross and the mercy of God, the kindness of God. And I wanna ask you to really, from the depths of your spirit, allow worship to rise. Not lip service, not the external of I lifted my hands, but allow your heart to gaze upon his beauty and to remember his kindness and to really worship him, the kind of worship he desires. Are you guys with me this morning? So worship team, if you would begin to lead us and we're just gonna really praise for a moment.
as a family, we just say, we need you in this community. Or as a family, we just say that there is no other name by which man is saved other than the name of Jesus. We worship the triune God of the universe. Let no man receive glory. Let no woman be exalted. Let every demonic principality and false God bow to the name of Jesus. You alone are worthy. You alone are able. And we're totally and utterly dependent upon your mercy revealed to us on the cross of Calvary. Somebody say hallelujah this morning. Hallelujah. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Somebody say amen, amen. Hey, listen, the altars are going to stay open for a minute. And I want to encourage you seriously. If you, if you would say, my heart's hard, man. I know it's hard. I know I haven't really been in God's presence. I want to encourage you to get in the altars. People are going to make their way out and pick up their kids. But this is the time. This is the place to get right with God. Don't leave here with a stale, cold heart. So in Jesus' name, we love you. You're dismissed. We pray you have a wonderful week. Next steps will start here at 1030. But if you need to spend some time in the altar, so you're going to stay open.